Chapter 3 here, 1 through 7 today, to, you know, continuing our study through the book of Ephesians. Last week, of course, finishing uh, chapter 2 and looking at the work of art that the church is and all that we have as a part of the body of Christ. We talked about that last week, the foundation we have in Christ, that we are part of his framework and his handiwork, and, and it's all about his workmanship, right? That, that we as individuals are his workmanship, and we as the church are his workmanship. We've been discussing that through chapter two and seeing that revealed to us, and now further into chapter three, Uh, we see Paul continuing to give further perspective of all that we possess in Christ. Uh, A specific word to the Gentiles is Paul is going to remind us, and he he really constantly reminds us, uh, that he has a calling to the Gentiles. He has a ministry to the Gentiles. He has a burning passion in his heart that came from God for the Gentiles. And, and so with an understanding of God's economy that we've been studying so much about and the spiritual blessings and the heavenly places, we keep that in mind as we get into now all that we possess in Christ. And moving forward into that, as Gentiles, we move forward into that. For this reason, Paul says, I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ for you Gentiles. Paul is a prisoner. Uh, He was actually a prisoner at this time. He was under house arrest, able to move about his house under supervision by day and actually chained to a guard, a soldier, by night so that he couldn't run away at night without you know, chopping his arm or somebody else's arm off, right? I mean, that's the idea here. Paul is physically, actually a prisoner in chains in his own home, one, because of his ministry, his connection to the Gentiles. But further, what does he say? He doesn't even say it's about being in prison. It's not about imprisonment. It's not about these chains that are physically around him. But he says, I'm a prisoner of Jesus Christ. I'm not a prisoner of Rome. I'm not a prisoner of the Jews. The Jews who are infuriated by this message that Paul gives, this teaching to the Gentiles that they might be one in Christ that they might be part of the body of Christ. Many Jews believe that the Gentiles must become Jews first in order to then be part of the body of Christ. But Paul's like, no, we're breaking down barriers left and right. People don't like when barriers are broken down. And they certainly don't like the messenger who says, the barrier has been broken down. And so Paul's saying, you know what, not, I'm not imprisoned by the Romans, I'm not imprisoned by the Jews, and Paul would go through many prisons, many beatings, uh, men, much persecution in his life, but yet he says, I am a prisoner of the Lord Jesus Christ, and that alone, he has been captivated by Jesus a prisoner of Jesus under the authority only of Jesus Christ, recognized himself to be under the lordship of Jesus. And this calling in ministry, and that calling is in ministry is so passionate for him, he's, he's so direct in this calling to the Gentiles that 
He's like, I'm locked in. I'm, I am bound by this calling, this burning passion inside of me. I'm a prisoner to the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's for you Gentiles. Because of his great mission to the Gentiles, Paul has been captivated by Jesus to minister to the Gentiles. Speaking of his specific calling in ministry to make known the gospel to the Gentiles, to preach grace to the Gentiles, to preach this oneness within the body of Christ to the Gentiles because they had been alienated. They had been cut off from society. But now Paul has this burning passion to preach that you are part of the body of Christ. You are one in the body of Christ. With Jews, you are one. The Jews needed to hear it. The Gentiles needed to hear it too. And this is his great passion, his great calling in ministry in which he says, I am a prisoner of the Lord Jesus Christ for you, Gentiles. It is for you. That's what it's about. To make known the gospel. Verse two, continuing, if indeed you have heard of this, of the dispensation of grace, of the grace of God, which was given to me for you. If you have heard, indeed you've heard. He's saying maybe you've heard because in fact, the message had been spread in the area. The word had gotten out that Paul is this guy who's got a passion for the Gentiles. Maybe you've heard this, guys. You know, that's the idea. Sometimes when somebody's so passionate about something, they're waving the banner about it constantly. And Paul, in his passion, his, first of all, his passion had to be for Jesus in order for his passion for ministry to be fulfilled. You don't get a passion for ministry if you're not passionate about Jesus. Sometimes we put the cart before the horse and we're like, I'm going to do all this great stuff for God, but yet we don't first press into our hope in Jesus Christ, our relationship with Jesus Christ, and the passion that we need to have for Jesus so then he could give us a real passion for ministry and for the gospel. We get so caught up in the doing rather than just being with Christ. We'll get further into that a little bit later. But he says, look, maybe you've heard. Maybe you've heard that I have a passion and a yearning to minister to you. The word had clearly spread, and Paul is referring to that. Guys, it's no secret that I've got this calling in ministry. It's no secret that I have a passion to preach to you Gentiles. And what does he preach? You have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God. The dispensation, and we're referring again, we talked about it chapter one, verse 10, first introduced to this dispensation. And the idea of that is God's economy, God's great, perfect plan for redemption historically throughout all of history and how that plan would be administrated. That's the idea of the dispensation. It is speaking of God's economy, and, as, and we, as that we've referred to so many times, this dispensation of the grace of God. And the word here of dispensation is specifically meaning stewardship. And so he's saying, maybe you've heard that I'm called to be a steward to you. I've been entrusted 
with this word from the Lord. This dispensation. And Paul was a steward to the Gentiles to bring an understanding of the doctrine of grace. God had entrusted Paul with great truths. Speaking of this dispensation of the grace of God, it's speaking of this age of grace, this dispensation of grace. God dealing with people on the basis of grace. It's in contrast, perhaps, to the age of the law and the age of judgment, which is to come. That doesn't mean that there is no grace, though. Because there's incredible pictures of grace throughout the whole Bible, throughout the whole Old Testament, throughout the law. In fact, the law is to point us to grace, that we might understand the grace of God. It is that we might understand how desperate we are for the grace of God, how we constantly fall short. We cannot uphold the law. We cannot keep the law on our own. There's too much. The Jewish people quickly found that out, but they would try to find loopholes within the law. You see, grace, it overcomes the loopholes. We don't need any loopholes in the law. Jesus fulfilled the law. But here we're talking about this period of time in, in which in God's perfect plan for redemption that we are specifically under an age a dispensation of grace looking at everything through the lens of the cross. Before the cross, there wasn't an understanding of the cross. There was prophecy. People would speak of the cross. Prophets would, would speak of the cross. It's throughout the Old Testament. Things will point us to Jesus. There's prophecy of Jesus, but they didn't quite understand what that meant. But now after Jesus came, he lived, he died, he rose, he ascended, there's a new perspective. Everything can be seen through this lens of the cross, through the lens of Jesus Christ. And so Paul says, look, this was given to me for you. It has been entrusted to me for you, the Gentiles. God has entrusted this message to Paul to bring to the Gentiles that they are under the grace of God by being under the blood of Jesus that we've talked so much about, under the lordship of Jesus Christ. There's great grace. This, this idea of the dispensation of the grace of God is speaking of putting the plan in motion that God had given this word to Paul, the implement, implementation of God's strategy that Paul is now part of. So God's plan is being shared with the Gentiles, that they are under grace. The grace of God is being explained. The grace of God is being revealed to them through Paul, who has been called to minister to the Gentiles. Now let's talk about where that calling came from. We'll talk often in church about calling, right? We talk about calling to ministry or calling to do something. I feel, you know, a calling on my life or that maybe you're prompted by the Holy Spirit. You're inspired by the Holy Spirit to do something. We're talking about Paul and we're talking about this calling and where this calling came from. 
And he says it in verse three as we continue. He says, how that by revelation he made known to me the mystery as I've briefly written already. He, first he says, look, it's by revelation. This is where this burning came from is by revelation. Paul saying, first of all, I didn't make it up. And I didn't just make up, first of all, I didn't make up the truth of the gospel. I didn't make up this idea of grace. And I didn't make up this burning passion within me. And some of you guys know what I'm talking about. There's, there's just a burning passion about certain things of the Lord that you're, man, I'm just so into it. I can't help it. I can't help but tell people about the good news of Jesus Christ. That doesn't just come from within ourselves. That comes through revelation. As we know God, as we experience him and his goodness, as he's revealed to us, he gives us that burning passion. Paul is saying, look, I'm, I haven't made it up and I haven't conjured it up. This calling is not within himself for the Gentiles. Because if you think about it, in reality, we don't get a calling without Jesus. We don't get a calling to help other people. We don't like helping other people, actually. We like helping ourselves. We're very quick to help ourselves. It's dinner time, let me help myself. Right? And we have kids, we're like, oh, I guess I'll feed them, you know. <laughs> sure, here you go. But we have the flesh in us that we're constantly having the battle of selfishness. We don't have to be told to be selfish and to think of ourselves. We do that automatically. But we have to rely on the Spirit to actually minister to each other, to one another. We have to press into the spirit of God and we have to be moved by God to do those things. Every good and perfect gift comes from above. And so Paul is making it clear that God gave him a revelation and that he's simply a messenger. What do we do with that revelation from the Lord? When God speaks, when something might be revealed, do we walk in obedience? Do we prepare ourselves for the calling? Sometimes we feel as though God is calling us, and then we think it should be an automatic. Everybody understands that I'm called, so everybody should help me with my calling. Or, or because I'm called, it's just going to be magically presented to me to fulfill this calling. But what are we doing in pursuit, in obedience? Prepare yourself for the calling. Paul was well prepared. You see, Paul, he wasn't preparing himself for this calling, right? But God took all of Paul's preparation in life and he redeemed it. He turned it around. Paul was a, an intellectual man. Paul was very well educated, right? He says the Hebrew of Hebrews. I mean, he learned, he was a learned man is what it would translate to, right? Very well educated, super smart guy. Knew the ins and outs of religion. 
And yet he says, look, that's all useless. But what did God do? He took his knowledge and he flipped it around. He redeemed it. And all of that knowledge and all of that intellect, Paul now walked in humility and understanding. And God used that even to help him understand doctrine and truth. So maybe Paul wasn't preparing himself for the calling, but Paul was well educated and prepared for what God had for him. And we can read in in Ephesians and we can study in Ephesians and see how intellectual Paul was, but further how inspired his intellect was. More importantly, how inspired he was. You know, I remember, so 2009, I've shared with you guys before, God gave me a calling to come back to New Jersey that I was going to pastor Cornerstone. That was 2009. As you know, it didn't happen until 2020. So 11 years, I didn't want to just sit by on the sidelines and wait for God to do what God was going to do. So what do I do? I, I prepare myself. Let me learn what I can learn. Let me grow in what I can grow in. Let me be prepared for what God has in this calling to pastor the church. Maybe there's a calling in your life. Maybe there is a a revelation of some sort, a burning passion. And sometimes God would call us to wait in faith, but even in that waiting, what are we doing? Press in. Get to know Jesus more. You know what happens sometimes? People just wait and they wait on the sidelines for that calling. And then it kind of fades out. I've seen it happen so many times. People are so passionate about something in ministry and yet, over time, things fade because they waited on the sidelines rather than pressing in to Jesus and pressing into what he has right here and now in front of us and how we can grow and how we can learn and how we can be prepared for the calling that he has called us to. And so he's, he's, he goes on here, this is by revelation. That's how it's made known and it, that it's the revelation that he has made known to me the mystery Galatians chapter one says this, Paul says, but when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace to reveal his son in me that I might preach him among the Gentiles. This is his calling here that he's talking about. I did not immediately confer with flesh and blood, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went to Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Paul explains that he did not receive the gospel from man. He didn't, re- he didn't go straight to flesh and blood, as he says. So quickly, man, we, we get excited about things. We maybe you get saved and you're all fired up and you're passionate for Jesus. And then you're just going to go talk to the pastor and say, I'm called to ministry. Put me in, coach. Whoa, hold on. 
Have you been with Jesus? You might wonder, we have, we have a policy here in the church. Six months, when you start coming to the church, we want you to wait six months, fill out a ministry application. This is a little bit of the ministry application, is the preparation, right? You might wonder, why do we do that? Because we want to get to know you, and you need to get to know us, and we need to press into Jesus together and allow our passion for Jesus to drive what we do, and not just all of our excitement that's in our minds in the moment, because that can fade quickly. But what does Paul say? I did not immediately confer with flesh and blood. I did not run to the apostles. Everybody knew Jerusalem is where the apostles are. You get saved, you gotta go talk to these guys, right? He's saying, I didn't immediately run there. No, actually, I ran away to be alone, to Arabia, to this uh, isolated place, even to go back to, some would believe it's back to this place of Mount Sinai, where he could be alone with the Lord. Not receiving the gospel from man, it was not passed down to him. And of course, there's great value in the gospel being passed on. But Paul is saying, no, I didn't confer with flesh and blood. This was given to me straight from God by revelation. He just got alone with the Spirit of God and with the Old Testament Scripture. That's what he had. That's what his education was on. The Hebrew Scripture and the Spirit of God digging in to the Old Testament in the light of Christ. You see, that's what I was talking about before. Before Jesus, there was this, this age of the law, and they didn't even understand that it was all pointing to Jesus. And Paul could have gone to the apostles and tried to go to their Bible school and learn from them, but he would not have been given this revelation of understanding everything is through the lens of Jesus Christ. Everything is through the lens of the cross of Jesus and the grace of God. So as he goes, he's alone and in that time digging into the Old Testament in the light of Christ, the cross, the resurrection, that's what enlightens us, guys. Jesus enlightens us. There's a lot of good books out there in the world today, right? But it's only the word of God that's all about Jesus that is going to truly enlighten us, truly open our eyes. I'm not telling you don't read other books. I challenge you, read books that point us back to scripture. There's a lot of good resources out there. But to truly be enlightened, we need more of Jesus. Paul understood that. And Paul, if you remember, Acts chapter 9, 
he was met by the risen Savior on the road to Damascus. And as he was there, he saw the glorified Christ, the risen Christ. And that blinding light of Christ actually enlightened him to see better than he ever saw before. When his eyes were actually opened again, he saw better than ever before. He was enlightened to see through the lens of the truth of the gospel, the cross, and the resurrection. Further, verse three, after it has been made known to me the mystery, as I have briefly written already, by which when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. Now he's, he's talking now about this mystery. We referenced it already earlier in the, in the book, but this mystery, the English idea and our idea of a mystery is like a murder mystery that can't be solved, right? The idea of something so hidden, so obscure or secret that it needs the brightest and best minds to figure out and oftentimes can't be figured out. We're drawn to mysteries, right? We like watching those shows. You like reading those books, whatever it might be. We're drawn to mysteries, why? Because at the end, hopefully, most of the time, there's the big reveal. That mystery is finally figured out. But here's the thing. This Greek word here, in the Greek it means something that is secret but still open for understanding by revelation. That's what Paul's talking about. It's not the murder mystery that, man, everybody's got to try to figure it out. And, and it's like you're watching that movie. You're like, no, no, I figured this out. No, you didn't. And then, oh, no, I figured, no, I didn't. No, I figured, no, I didn't. And then at the end, you're like, no way, it was that guy. But see, Paul is saying we have the opportunity to know the mystery because we know Jesus. This is a secret, yes, but not to those who enter into relationship with Jesus, whose eyes have been enlightened. The mystery is open to understanding. And so it says, he, he made known this mystery that you may understand it is not hidden. It is so that you may understand it is not just for me either, is what Paul is saying. It's not just for Paul. The mystery, the understanding, the revelation, the spirit of God is not just for Paul. It's not just for the apostles. It's not just for missionaries. It's not just for pastors. It's for you. Every single one of us have this opportunity to walk with Jesus and to be enlightened by Jesus. And he said, look, when you read it, your, your understanding is going to come. And it's about the knowledge of Christ. You may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ when you get to know Jesus. You want that revelation too? It comes through Christ, knowing him and experiencing him. Verse five, he continues, he says, Within, uh, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men as it has now been revealed by the spirit to his holy apostles and prophets. 
And we already referenced that. We talked about that. In other ages, this mystery was not yet known because Jesus had not yet come. Jesus had not yet died and been raised from the dead. Prior to this age of grace, this timing where Jesus came, lived, died, and rose, it was not yet made known. But it is now revealed. And it's all because of Jesus. His teachings, we studied all through the Gospel of John, the words and works of Jesus Christ. All of that, the Gospels, the things that Jesus spoke and the things that Jesus did, we said it so many times as we studied the Gospel of John, it was all so that Jesus could reveal himself. And that there was a constant misunderstanding of the disciples, right? Constantly, they're like, oh, okay, I think I get it, Jesus. And then they didn't get it. Or they would just be like, Thomas, I don't get it. Peter, I I get it. (laughs) But he didn't get it, right? But there was moments along the way, right, when Peter said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. What did Jesus say? Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. It's all about a revelation. Jesus revealing himself through his words, through his works. But the real revelation happened when they saw the resurrected Savior. Because he would talk about his death and his resurrection and they'd be like, Uh, Yeah, I don't get it. But then when he died, and when he rose, and when he was glorified, and in that state revealed to them, light bulbs went off. And when he ascended to heaven, light bulbs went off. But even further, Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit was given And Jesus promised this Holy Spirit before. As Jesus promised that, look, the the Spirit is going to reveal all things to you, what he told them. And the Spirit has a purpose. And I'm not going to leave you orphans. Again, things that they would scratch their heads about beforehand. But he's like, you'll understand. Just trust me, you'll understand. And so then the day of Pentecost, Jesus even said, Acts chapter one, verse eight, you will be witnesses to me. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Isn't that what Paul's doing? He's a messenger. He's a witness to the truth of Jesus Christ. Jesus told his disciples it was going to happen It actually happened. And when did it start? The outpouring of his Holy Spirit. To be messengers of the gospel, even in that Acts chapter two, they came out speaking in tongues. The speaking in tongues was to fulfill the great commission. They're speaking the truth 
They're preaching the gospel because people were all visiting from all different places, speaking all different languages. So what was the purpose of the tongues in that moment? Was it to just be able to go around speaking in tongues all the time at any time? No. It was to fulfill the Great Commission. It was because Jesus said, you will receive power to be witnesses. And so here they are doing exactly what Jesus told them was going to happen. That power came and they were witnesses. And 3,000 people were added to the church that day. What incredible power. And you know what, guys? Far too often, we put that power in a box. And we think, you know what? I can't be a witness like Paul. I can't be a witness like the disciples. I can't be somebody called to the mission field, or I can't be somebody called to ministry. I can't do the things that other people do. Why? Why not? Because the same power that raised Christ from the dead is in us. The same power that Jesus told the disciples, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you to be witnesses, that same power is for us, the Holy Spirit. The mystery was made known to the apostles by Jesus and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Verse six, and we continue, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel, of which I became a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given to me by the effective working of his power. So here's the mystery. Paul's not just gonna talk about a mystery and then leave us hanging, thankfully, right? He said it is to be understood. He's like, look, when you read this, you're gonna understand. So here it is, the mystery. We've talked so much about it that it came from God, this amazing revelation to Paul, how he could not make it up, nobody else could make it up for that matter, as we even said, according to this idea of dispensation, the dispensation that God has before all of creation created this perfect plan, Father, Son, and Spirit, this perfect plan for redemption before the foundation of the world. We can't wrap our minds around that. It can't be made up. And that's what Paul's saying. Like, I didn't make this stuff up. God made it up. And he just revealed it to me. Paul doesn't leave us hanging. He shares what the mystery is, that the Gentiles would be fellow heirs. Now that's his calling, that's his passion, to preach that truth, that you could be made one, a part of the body of Christ. Believing Jews and believing Gentiles would be joined together in Christ. What a mystery that nobody could understand until now because Jesus died 
and Jesus rose. The truth of the gospel, it didn't make sense until Jesus was glorified. One body, one church, doesn't make any sense. No longer separated, it doesn't make any sense, but in Christ it does. And that's where we're at today. Because of Jesus, because of the power of his Holy Spirit, we can make sense of this oneness in Christ. We can make sense of the gospel. We can make sense of a calling, of a burning passion to minister to people, to preach the gospel. It doesn't make sense to the world. People look at the church, they think we're nuts. Maybe sometimes they're a little bit right, but they think we're totally nuts. But it doesn't make sense to those who are outside, right? The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. They're like, that's nonsense. But to us, we're here gathered today because the cross. It's not foolishness. It's life. It's a gift. Fellow heirs meant that there was a new race. Sharing equally in the same legacy. The same blessing. There was, there was no double portion for the Jews which would have been a tough pill to swallow, which is why so many were so mad at Paul. Sharing equally in the same life in Christ. One body, Jews and Gentiles, one body with Christ as the head. Again, a tough pill to swallow for the Jews, for the religious system that Jesus came to tear down, to turn upside down, because he became the great high priest, because he tore the veil and gave us direct access into the presence of God, sharing equally in the same life in Christ, all washed by the blood of Christ, equally dependent on Jesus with the same access to God, sharing equally in the same promise of eternal life. As it says, we are partakers of the promise. The idea of promises brings us all the way back, right, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Covenants and promises that were made by God to the nation of Israel. But it's for Gentiles too. Believers are partakers. Every single one of us, if you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, we are partakers in the promise of God, the hope that he brings. How is he, he presents it? It is in Christ and it is through the gospel. That's the how. How are we partakers of the promise? It is through the gospel 
Only through the gospel can all have equal standing in Jesus. Jew, Gentile, priest, king. Only through the gospel. The gospel brings equality, fulfills promises, and brings hope. The gospel changes lives. Changed Paul. And that's what he's saying. Verse 7, of which I became a minister. Somehow, Paul. That's what he's saying. Look, somehow I became a minister of the gospel through the gospel. Because I had this, this word revealed to me, because God revealed himself to me, now I'm a minister. And you know what I wasn't before? A minister of the gospel. In fact, what was Paul before? He was a persecutor of Christians. Hunting down the Christians to put to an end this body of Christ that had begun. And now here he is saying, that same guy, by the grace of God, whew, I'm a minister. And you know what? I can look at my own life. I don't even know how I get to do what I get to do. It's by the grace of God. So what about us? The gospel changed Paul. It made him a minister because through it he gained understanding of the grace of God. And that word minister there is a servant of the gospel. That's who Paul is. He's saying, look, I became a servant of the gospel. That's it. But what about us? What about the grace that we've been given? Think about the grace that we've been given. And Paul presents it very well in chapter 2 of who we once were, all of us, dead in our trespasses and sins. Think of the grace that we've been given. And with that, with now, through relationship with Jesus Christ and understanding of the mystery of the oneness of the church revealed to us that we have been made one in Christ, that we have been bought by the blood of Christ under the grace of God, would we be changed by the grace of God? Will we be inspired by the gospel to bring change to the world around us? Because truly it is, as I said in the beginning, more of Jesus that we need. And what is the, the world is so desperate for the gospel. They don't even know it. Would we have a burning passion within us to become ministers? I'm not telling you all to quit your job and come work at the church. I don't think we could facilitate that. But we're all called to be ministers. Jesus said, go make disciples. In some ways that we make disciples is in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods. Various opportunities that we have that we could come across. 
But we have to have a burning passion for it, don't we? We get that burning passion for people when we have a burning passion for Jesus. He reveals himself. And the more he's revealed, the more we can't contain it as we are enlightened by the truth of the gospel. The world needs Jesus. But you know what, guys? We need Jesus. We haven't just signed up and we're all set. Right? We, sometimes we think, okay, if I pray the prayer, then I've, like, I've signed up for Jesus and I've got Jesus. You know, I'm on the list. But we just need more. Every day we need more, that he may increase and we may decrease. John the Baptist said that. A very spiritual man (laughs) said, you know what, I still need him to increase and then I can decrease. I can just fade off and let him be glorified in me and through me and beyond me. So what about us? Will we be inspired by the gospel to bring change to the world with a God-given passion to reach people with the truth. Remembering this, his grace is sufficient and the gospel is relevant for us and for the whole world around us. Let's pray.